Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. And you can just feel it. You can just see it in the distance. The Rugby World Cup is in only a few days. And we have now finished all of the warm-ups. Hopefully all of the stories are done and <laughs> suspensions, non-suspensions, bunker, no bunker, injuries, no injuries. All of that's done. Sean, we are in within tasting distance of the oh. Rugby World Cup. And we're going to talk so through the... Yeah, Sean, I, I'm just actually almost not fatigued of rugby, but I just want to get to the final event or the main event now. Yeah, the, the last few weeks have been, have almost felt rugby world cupish. Like, yeah. You're right. We need to kind of sit down time. We have a weekend off. Yeah. Please, guys, don't take out the, the partners, the spouses, the friends, see your kids. Do as much as you can in this weekend because after this, it's going to be four systems go. So, Sean, today we're going to go through the, the, the test matches, the last week of test matches that happened um, in the warm-ups. We're going to start with, of course, the Springboks victory um, in, their, in their, their first and probably only Qatar Airways Cup <laughs> match against New Zealand in Twickenham, winning 35 points to seven. Um, yeah, I, I think um, jean Klein was talking about when he said he's coming back to South Africa that he's, as a young boy, he dreamt of winning the Qatar Airways Cup in Twickenham against New Zealand, right? <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, that's why they pumped all that money in and did it. <laughs> but yeah, all jokes aside, um, you could see it in everyone's face. So they lifted it up. They're like, we're only cheering because we have to. <laughs> like, this, everyone is all, as, as we are, all focused uh, in one direction, and that's towards Paris on the 28th of October. Sure. Yeah, let's, I think, get into the nitty-gritty of it. There, it was a, obviously, as the scoreline suggests, it was, I mean, a, probably a very surprising game for most people. We, I don't think anyone saw, if people saw a Bok victory, sure, but I don't think anyone saw such a one-sided victory. It's officially New Zealand's biggest defeat that they've had um, in their history. And the Springbok just absolutely dominated and overturned the, the result that they had against New Zealand uh, about six weeks ago. So maybe let's just start there, Sean, with what was the biggest difference between this game and the rugby championship game a few weeks back? Well, the fact that this one was not the rugby championship, but um, <laughs> for, for the Kiwis anyway, and they'll be beating that drum. And to be fair, if we lost, we'd be beating it too. Um, it, uh, it was a, the last, what, three, three, four games for sides has really been like, the coaches are really trying to, especially the Springbok coach, Jacques Ninaba, especially especially us, I feel, have been working on a bunch of things. Like the Springboks have cut it really fine. I said it a little while back like that I thought the Springboks were a game short. Um, mm. So I'm eating my words now because it seems like everything's come together. But my word, did they cut it close? Um, but yeah, this game was all about teams doing their thing like nobody goes out there to lose i don't think but i also feel that like there was less that mattered after a while after the all blacks were like 21 or down you know like i mean how long until they scored their first points it's ridiculous but anyway so yeah this depends how you want to read into it like what's your story you know what do you want to what agenda do you want to push you can yeah. you can hit them really hard it's just interesting just seeing, obviously, I think just in broad strokes with all of the warm-up games, like if you win, yeah, everything is all according to plan. The team's looking good. You're all settled. You're going to be all prepared for the win. I mean, to win the World Cup. If you lose, 
no, it's all part of the plan. I mean, we'll talk about Eddie Jones and, and uh, Australia, but Taniela Tupo literally came out and said, no, we were hiding some plays um, for France um, or away from France in the weekend. So it's just been interesting just seeing sort of the narrative um, argument. But I think in all reality, Sean, did we learn too much from this game? Maybe not. I think when I think about it, I think this was the game that I kind of thought New Zealand would have against the Springboks earlier this year. Um, of, hey, are we sure about the front row that the New Zealanders have chosen? Are we sure about De Groot and Tara Lomax as, as scrummages? Are we sure about Jordy Barrett in the midfield? Are we really sure about like the back three composition um, without Jordy Barrett there and, and Bowden Barrett at full back? Like, those are the things that I thought would come out more in the first game, and now they've come out in this game. And to be fair to New Zealand, though, it's still their first loss against their first loss in the sort of, or I think, well, technically their third loss, but their first loss in 10 um, in this like Schmidt and Jason Ryan era. So I think the, uh, I mean, the men in black, um, Will Smith had that thing where you can like forget like what happened just now. <laughs> I think that's literally what New Zealand should do right now and just be like, yeah, <laughs> we did not, we weren't in London this week. Uh, we were just, we were just on holiday. We didn't play a rugby game. But we spoke about it during the URC um, or was it the URC? But we spoke about it during last season where, where we felt, I'm sure it was Cooks that brought it up, said that every team kind of gets that, like that do over. It was you, you said mm. you wanted a do over. Like when you, when everyone's cooking and then all of a sudden you take like a 50, 21 loss and you're like what what the hell just happened there that's kind of like maybe that's kind of what happened like just a little blip on the radar like fortunately it didn't matter and i think that's what to be fair if we if we had to do power rankings now the Springboks would be streets ahead i know france won well mm. but france won a pressure for 30 minutes ireland won under pressure england lost um scotland cooked but i think the Springboks would be in in prime position mm. so yeah you can't really... only behind fiji oh shit my <laughs> humblest apologies i was so pumped to talk about fiji and then i go and leave them out of that <laughs> yeah south africa fiji one two there you go <laughs> so let's go into the game a bit sean and you can't start but with the eight no sorry 15 forwards that played on on friday night and just how they were absolutely dominant in the set piece and in the collision as well. So, I mean, the Springboks were milking um, penalties in the scrum, in the rolling mall. New Zealand had 14 penalties in total. We, of course, know, know they had two yellow cards, well, three yellow cards, one of them turning into a red card for Scott Barrett, which we'll, which we'll discuss in a bit. But if you look at all of the stats from the game in terms of like what the forwards did, the box absolutely controlled the, the ruck. Um, they won six turnovers to the All Blacks. One in the lineouts, New Zealand had 10 out of 15 lineouts won. Um, so they were constantly under pressure with their throw. Of course, having Scott Barrett be out of the game for about 40, 50 minutes probably doesn't help there. And their scrum was under constant pressure um, with either South Africa winning scrums or New Zealand having to do the quickest hook in the world to get the ball out of the scrums in time. Um, yeah, I mean, we know, I think we know this about South Africa, like when they really want to, I don't know if it's a motivation thing, probably not, but like when they really want to, and if the if the opponent's forwards aren't really up for it, like they can make a day very, very, very long. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting 
how yeah how how it went down. It's it could have gone like I thought that we we dominated. We've really dominated twenty the first twenty minutes of almost every game this year, but we haven't really kicked it on. And we only really we scored um, our first points when there were thirteen players. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that, um, and I think that's very important that everyone remembers and knows that. Like I think that first twenty minutes is the big one for us. Like we need to convert our pressure. But having said that, is we also know that we can play that long game of pressure, um, and which we did, and we continue to 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 push them, and then they crumbled. Um, you know, the errors and the penalty counts and everything that they made was all due to our pressure. It could have been mm. there were other factors, but it was absolutely due to our pressure. So yeah, there's interesting times ahead, but I want us to clean up that twenty minutes. I want I want I want it to be better. Mm. And I mean, yeah, I think that's a big point. I think the box had something like 12 or 16 entries into the 22 and only scored from five. Yeah, look, frankly, that's not good enough, I think, if you're going to win a World Cup because, number one, hopefully, well, the best teams won't probably glitch you in 16 times to your 22. So I think the Kiwis are very generous on Friday. But secondly, yeah, your conversion rate needs to be a lot better. And I mean... If you compare that to what France did um, on Sunday against the Wallabies, obviously the Wallabies have their own issues. I think they had eight entries to the 22 and converted from four at some point in the game. Um, yeah. And look, I, I it, it's difficult because obviously it was a good performance and we won at the end and won quite handsomely. But those first 20 to 30 minutes, I think, were of some concern because it just seemed like you know, we were trying a few variations in the rolling mall that didn't really sort of get off. And then when we did, you know, try to get into our phase play, it was much, much of a much, much of a muchness with like one off runners and people um, pushing behind them and everything. And uh, New Zealand were able to keep us out for at least that first quarter. Um, it was, and when the ball did go out to the backs, not to um, blame Damien Willemse, but you saw the difference between Damien Willemse and Vili LaRue. And I mean, ironically, Willemse was the man of the match. I didn't really agree with that, to be honest. But yeah, me too. I th- yeah, I think we can see the value of LaRue because I think there were a few four-on-threes and three-on-twos and those sort of situations where LaRue's instinct out wide is to obviously be able to put um, the finishers in a position to finish, where Willemse obviously... He's like, Vili makes plays for other people. Vilimsa can make plays for other people, but he'll probably, as a first option, look forward to make plays for himself, which is good. I don't, I don't think that's an issue. But I think in terms of just creating those opportunities to score, and especially with a pretty newish backline comb- combination, I think that did hinder us from really getting, you know, the, the opportunities that we need to get. Because, I mean, yes, we beat New Zealand 35-7, and I'll, I don't think any team should ever scoff at that, but this really actually easily could have been a 50 points to seven type of situation. Yeah. I agree with what you said with the first, um, with our, with our 22 entries, but I do want to say one thing. It was mm. glaringly obvious that our game plan for the first bit, however, 20 minutes or whatever was to kick to the corner and get them to show us their hand on their driving wall defense. So, mm. That was that was was obvious to me. So I spoke about it last week, where I thought playing Wales and playing New Zealand were masterstrokes because 
of the way Wales unlock us. Unfortunately, when when we played against Wales, they didn't have bigger and half penny that bunch of late changes in the back line. Yeah, and that At a that aerial side, pressure. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that aerial pressure disappeared, and then we put them away, which is great. But the plan of what we wanted out of that game don't I don't think quite went according to how we really wanted. The plan against the All Blacks was since Ryan has joined, they have eaten our pack and specifically mm. on, on all defense. So we very clearly went and were like, cool, let's test it out. Let's see what we need to do or, or alternatively, let's do it so much against them. We can see what they're doing to us. So essentially they're, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of getting answers on another team's tactics that other teams would clearly use against us. We're like, cool, how do mm. we counter the counter? And so, yeah, so I'd love, I'd love us to have scored um, more, but that was our plan, and I, it, it, it looked very, very clear to me. And the other thing was that the All Blacks really infringed a lot and kind of, even though they got a yellow card in 13 minutes, I think they kind of got away with uh, quite a bit there. Mm. Um, with regards to Damien Willemser, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's very difficult to give a forward the man of the match when you almost all your forwards played 40 minutes and the one forward <laughs> that stayed on got yellow carded. But I don't think he deserved man of the match. I thought he was a little bit wasteful. And exactly what, what you mentioned, I think what Damien Willems has shown is, is actually probably a, a, a young, relatively, relatively, please don't hate me for that, relatively inexperienced um, outlook in that you could probably defend him quite easily by giving him a gap. So if you cover the, if you cover that gap, you know you give give teams holes to play into because they think there's a gap there, but you've got a game plan for it. Mm. So there's that, and really, absolutely, is playing for everyone else um, the way he does it. So the same as as Cannon Moody. Um, everyone's banging on about Moody's try that wasn't scored and everything. That is a good and a bad thing for me. He's he's a finishing thirteen, and that he's a, a thirteen. He's a winger in a thirteen jersey, where. There were two players outside. The absolutely the percentage player was playing, playing uh, was passing the ball. The fact that mm-hmm. he got to beat defend defend uh, beat two brilliant defenders and brilliant players is another great thing. So, you know, there's there's a couple of ways of looking at it. But I thought if I was going to pick man in the match, it would be between Peter Step de Toy and Manny Lebok, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was very interesting. Um, but we. We probably, yeah, we've got with our with our thirty three man squad. We we actually have two different teams we can play. It almost looks like we could play two different teams, of which both of those teams would be competitive or relatively competitive against almost all tier one sides. And we've probably got two or three game plans that we can utilize. I still haven't seen the kicking game plan. Is that gone? Like I've been asking for it, saying it's going to come, it's going to come. And the reason why we mistake Gaden is because he's the best kicking nine, but we're not kicking from nine anymore. So am I like, do I need to let it go? Or is that the, is that the, the move this year? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, to be fair, I think Faf did kick a lot. And I think that's one of the big differences between this game and the rugby championship game. I think the rugby championship game, we only kicked 14 times or something like low like that. And this game was 26. Obviously, it shows that we weren't chasing a game from like the first 20 minutes like we were in New Zealand. So there was a lot more kicking. And look, I mean, 
<laughs> Buff Declank is, yeah, he's like the scrum off version of Damien Pinot where you're like, this is great. I mean, you're going crazy right now and probably drink <laughs> all over the place, but it, it's working out for you. So there's a lot of places where I'm like, okay, cool. Get yourself involved, Buff. Like, I, I see the playmaking. And there's other places where I'm like, oh, you can you can calm down with that. But I think he was kicking quite a bit. And maybe it's also just a, an adjustment that we need to make. So yeah, 26 times. I think possibly I wasn't paying that much attention. There was so much other stuff to look at. But it always amazes me that uh, that we do kick a lot from hand and when we win well, normally. But uh, people only ever moan about it when we don't win. So yeah, <laughs> one of those. It's like the referee, man. You know, the referee is a brilliant, oh, brilliant yeah. ref when we win. <laughs> And he's absolutely the worst man in the world if we if we lose. Um, yeah, so I think the oh let's just to finish up on the forwards, Sean. So we started with Kitzoff, Marks, Malherbe, Itzabeth, Mostert at five, Belisi, Dutoy, and Vermeulen, and then we had the seven on the bench. Let's start with the first eight that started. Is this our? Um, do you think this will be our starting pack for most of our big World Cup games? Yes. I yeah I think mm, I don't know about <laughs> Mostert at five, and not mm. because I don't think he should be there. It's just he's been taking a lot of fire lately, and I mean he did pretty well. He's we always I suppose we always see him as a bench as a bench player, but mm. that front row starting. The best thing about this is our second front row that came on dominated as much. This is giving me 20, 2019 vibes. Twenty nineteen feels all the way where you can't decide who's the better front row and you know they're both going to get 40 minutes, so it doesn't really matter. And uh, yeah, so so there's that. I think the only thing would be five and eight. Um, Dwayne Vermeulen mm-hmm. wasn't in the running for a while, but he's literally turned everything around in 2023 and, uh, and he's fighting for that, which is great. Um, I'm super happy. I don't mind who starts between Visa and Vermeulen. Um, Visa's a little bit off the boil, but not so badly that he's... He's can be classified as in the shit category as many people are, but yeah, Dwayne's doing well. I think we can, it's kind of swings and roundabouts. Like, do you want to start Dwayne Vermeulen to get things going? He's excellent, excellent on the mall defense. He's excellent in setting up stuff around the mix. Or do you want to bring him off the bench so he can do that one steal that we need in the 78th minute? Mm. Um, it's really, it's really touch and go, but we're not far off with this, with the starting pack. We really aren't. What are your thoughts on five? Because we yeah. are in a position where we have Mostert, we've got Achia, Jean Klein could probably start at five. I don't think any I don't think anyone will complain if any one of them started five, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean look, even Marvin Ari can't be I don't think he's out of the con- of contention as well, even though he hasn't played the last two weeks. I mean yeah. he's been agree. A part of it's a bit at least for about five, six tests in the last two years. And um, he doesn't have bad most, games yeah. either. That's the thing. No. And I mean, I think he's almost like a combination of a lot of the good things about the other three. Like mm-hmm. he can run a line out uh, probably more so than um, Snayman can because Snayman doesn't really run line outs like for Munster and even for South Africa. Um, he's a workhorse like Jean Claim, and then um, he has the sort of ability with ball in hand, like obviously being that linking player for for the for the fly coming through the the back door there, as we saw in that Australia game. So 
I, yeah, I, I I wouldn't rule him out, but he's. I think the selections show he's probably uh, near the bottom of the list at the moment. But hey, who knows? Um, <laughs> I, I won't second guess just the Springbok coaches too much. Yeah, yeah, but just also remember is the way that we we do things and where he's going to add most of his value is all going to be in prep pre-game and everything mm. and if he gets to play then he's gonna he's gonna do well like as mentioned like he hasn't really had a bad game so i think th- this is marvin Ari really he's like if you want to look at why squads are important he's he's that guy because mm. you're right like who's leading leading the line out who's doing the stuff who's prepping and, and checking and stuff so i mean it was quite clear in chasing the sun that those roles were handed out amongst the players so you know, there's that. I actually did forget because we haven't I haven't seen him in two weeks. I completely forgot that he was on <laughs> tour. Um it's quite quite crazy because I was pushing really hard for him as well at one stage. Yeah. And like back to your question, Sean, I think this was Mostert's best game in a bit. Um he's playing in his natural number five position. He was yes. busy around the pa- around the around the field. Obviously, we know he has a good understanding with Malcolm Marx built over years in Joburg um, for the lineups. The lineups were, you know, 90% there. I think there was one wayward throw from Marx and I think one from Bonambi as well. But they were mostly there, um, you know, as far as possible. And, and defensively, both him and Etzebeth got at least a steal each, if not more. So I think Mostert is great in that. And obviously he does his more than his fair share of work in the loose, being like a, a you know, have, him having played a lot of seven in the last few years. So I think I would really go with this pack as my starting pack um, for Scotland. The one thing though with Dwayne, which I think will be interesting is he's essentially a lineout. He runs the lineout kind of like how Peter Omani runs the lineout from um, flank and even someone like Charles Olivan for, for France. So if, if we don't pick Mostert at five and we pick someone like Sneiman, for example, Although I think the Springwell coaches want Sneiman's impact off the bench. But let's say we pick Sneiman or Jean Klein. I think then the lineout running has to go through Dwayne, which means I see it as if if um, we don't pick Mostert, then we have to pick Dwayne at number eight. I can't really see a situation where we go into a like big game with Visa and Sneiman or uh, Klein um, in, in, our, in number five because we need Dwayne to be able to basically help or run the line out if, if, if we don't have Franco Mostert as our number five. So, yeah, I think the five and the eight um, calls can be somewhat linked um, in that case. Hmm. But I think the best for the Springboks is Mostert five. I like what you said about Dwayne at eight. Like him coming off of the bench, obviously we saw how Franco was valuable for that especially in the semi-final. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's exactly what so, I was thinking when I was saying that. I saw Flo just going in there, bosh. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So between him and Quaka Smith, I would at least want one of those pe- um, players on the bench because I think those are the two, like, can turn the game for you in the last few minutes. Either, and with both of them, they can probably do it in, in many ways. Either if they need a big attacking run or a big turnover or big tackle, like they can do it in all sorts of ways. So yeah, I I, I think we're I would I would be more than happy if this was the starting pack um, against Scotland. I think that will give us the best chance of, of playing. Yep, I'm with you. I have no problem with it. 
just very interesting. I mean, how long have we been banging on about Mostert not being belonging at five anymore? <laughs> Remember, <laughs> like everyone's yeah. like, he's never going to make it. And they're like, oh, blindside flank, we'll take him as a hybrid. Excellent. Now blindside flank, you're not a five anymore. Now he plays five, everyone's like, no, don't do it. And now he's playing five and we're like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm happy we kind of landed there because, I mean, especially with obviously the Lurt injury, we do need that person to sort of run the show and the lineouts. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the seven bench players. Oh. Um, I saw that because you messaged for us on our group and I saw it just before the walk, I mean, the, the, the kickoff. And I was like, what? <laughs> it caught yeah. me absolutely off guard because I was literally just like doing a bit of work and then was literally just settling in just before the national anthems. And I saw the message and I was like, wait, what? What, what just happened? And then obviously seeing the execution of it with all seven coming on. I mean, I think for New Zealand, that should have been the moment. They should have called off their like best players and said, look, we've done our best. Let's just... <laughs> chalk this one off, get Artie <laughs> off, get Aaron Smith off. Like, yeah, we're not going to do much today. Yeah, I guess the question is, is this a legit strategy going forward? Like, I mean, yeah, I'm probably one of the few South Africans that's maybe not really a fan of 6-2 because I just don't like the risk. 7-1 is almost sending me over the edge, to be honest. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of whispers, at least from the bot camp and from people in the know that say that no, this could be a legit strategy for the World Cup. I don't see how it could be. Um, <laughs> however, I'm so happy that we did it first. <laughs> Before Eddie Jones. Eddie, Eddie Jones was talking about it a little while ago. <laughs> and Jockey Nova was gone. Hold my beer, I got this. He even they even gave him like two or three games to 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 be the first. I believe that this was planned within the Springbok camp um, mm. the week already. Um, it wasn't as uh, uh, it wasn't as as late change as, as what we all heard out about. But yeah, so going back to your question, I see the risk in six two. I totally see the value. I I think I I don't think the w- wins the what the balance of of a seven one will work you we've got the we've got the personnel that's the one thing like you you play mm. damien Willemser that day you play um jesse creel you play canon moody you play jesse creel uh, you play oh, I said that you play um um Chisholm colby you play faf you play Jaden. you play <laughs> covering all of the positions yeah, yeah, but you start them, and then the guys can move around and thing. But you are going to land up with Quaka on on the wing, and it's not ideal. <laughs> I don't think you play on the wing. Actually, I think he might probably play, and he'll defend probably in the ten or twelve channel, um, and then um, and then yeah, an attack. Yeah, it doesn't really matter because then we'll just work our shapes and set it up and just pile it up with the forwards. But I think it's way too risky in a big game. I think. Going into Scotland, there's no way that we are doing a 7-1. We're not doing it against Ireland, and we won't be doing it in the quarterfinals unless there is a legit pull a hamstring in the warm-up situation. We've tried it. We've checked it out. They've weighed up the pros and cons. Like To think that, that, um, that uh, Jacques Minaba and has told Rassi or like the rest of the crew, like, listen, just for shits and giggles, let's try this out against the All Blacks at Twickenham. 
Like, there's no <laughs> ways. There's no ways it was it was it was an ego thing to just chalk it off as being the first. So, it, the thing is, is we've been so they have <laughs> they. It's like in a good way, Stockholm syndrome. Like we know that every single thing that happens in the Springbok setup, there's a plan. We know that. We don't know what it is. But we know that there was a plan. We know that it was planned, and we know that there is a plan around it. What the plan is, we don't know, and we don't know when it's going to happen. And also, what sort of a new rugby player have we just invented? Like, Andre Esterhazen is stocks are going to skyrocket, flanker stroke 12. <laughs> like, let's be honest here. Craig Burden, I mean, he's like, shit, man, I was born in the wrong decade. <laughs> <laughs> um tom young's you know these guys all played forwards and backs and whatnot so yo i don't know have we just like changed everything to be fair the jock Minova and well rassi they love to change things around and but that's the thing like what is the plan what is happening what what is it what is the benefits like what are the pros and cons besides the obvious ones and how when are we going to unroll this for for real or are we <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, the stocks on someone like Kwaka Smith and Seku Makalu have never been higher, I guess. But yeah, I Here guess I think we probably only see this in the Romania Tonga games. Um, just to, yeah, or maybe, I mean, we are, I think we only took 14. Yeah, we did take 14 backline players, and obviously, them being four scrum offs and all that sort of stuff. So maybe the <laughs> tactic might be that Kwaka, you're going to do some double duty on the wing in, in, in those sort of games, hopefully but with like the score at 30-45, which, yeah, I mean, look, Kwaka has some seven skills. He can maybe do a job there and fly off. Um, <laughs> if he ever had to play 10, every single person in South Africa would be like, probably not the best idea, but we're okay with it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, oh, look, what? I don't you want to play blindside flank? You want to play open side flank? You want to play eighth man? Done. All good. Oh, look, you're playing on the wing. <laughs> That's fine. You want to play a fly half? Go for it, buddy. I think we, I think we even forgive like a loss to Tonga if Kwaka Smith plays a ten. We're like, you know what? At least we saw Kwaka at ten. We can we can live with this. <laughs> we can't lose. <laughs> we cannot lose to Tonga. I mean, I, do, can't. I don't say we should, but we can't. We can't. We can't. We're playing Ireland last in our pool game. We cannot afford to go into that Ireland game <laughs> having to to must win it. We want them to be under pressure. Oh, but. Okay, I was just suggesting. Um, but <laughs> going now to, I guess, some of the selection uh, questions, I guess, for, 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 for Jacques Nina, we're going into the Scotland game. Let's start with number nine. So I think Faf had a, you know, a Faf-like game. You know, some moments of great playmaking and brilliance. And obviously, like, you know, I think Faf is close to one of the best players in the world in those little kicks that he does in like in the attacking 22 for the wings, like we've scored a try probably every like second or third test Faf has started um, from those little kicks and dinks that he does. Um, his field kicking, I think, was mostly good. It had a few parts where he just kicked possession away, but I think it was mostly good. And it was like good contestable kicks. And obviously we know his value in defense. Jaden had a really good game starting on uh, against Wales. We know the value that... Um, Grant Williams and Corbis Reinach have as impact players. 
So who of the two are playing in Scotland, Sean? This is probably the cuckest question of the lot. Um, <laughs> Wait until really... the wings one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm cool with that. I've, I've got that done. Um, oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I always thought it was going to be between Fuff and Jaden to start or bench and then between Grant and Quibus. However, we are probably going to go into Scotland with the Fuff and Jaden. Um, mm. uh, but it, it's such a, it's such a cuck one. The thing is, it's, it's really about tactics and what is our plan, um, which we'll only find out once the squad's announced and once we watch the game. But the plan, mm. like, are we going to run them? Do we feel that we're going to run them off their feet and then it's going to open up later? Because then, like, Damien Willemser cooks, um, Grant cooks, Corbus cooks. Like, you know, is that, is that the plan? Or, to be fair, Scotland are... Having one thing that they have shown is that they love a second half and they love performing in the second half. So are we going to then say, cool, we are sticking to our game plan and our structures from A, from A to Z, like in which case we'd have to go with, with Fuff and Jaden. So I've done a very good job of not answering, but I <laughs> would probably say Fuff and Jaden. And it goes against everything that I thought that we were doing and how we were doing it. But i I feel that that's what's happening um, for Scotland. Yeah, I think you make a good point with the game plan thing. And yeah, I, it will also come into the conversation about the other positions. But I mean, I I like obviously the fact that we're kind of adapting to, you know, number one, obviously just expanding the, the game plan that the box have. And number two, adapting to the fact that our fly is now Marty Libok and not uh, Andre Pollard. So there is a bit more, you know, running and chancing our arm. But I think the basis of the game plan is still the same. And I think we're not going to play too differently from what we did on Friday, which is, you know, if they're physically up front and then just be uber aggressive um, in our defense and hopefully get like a few tries and opportunities from that as well. So I think... And obviously relying on the kicking game to put pressure on, 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 on the opposition as well and use that as an opportunity to do counteracts and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I probably lean towards that as well, that one of Fuff or Jaden starts and the other one's on the bench. And we just constantly put, you know, the Scottish back three under pressure with our kicking game. But, yeah, I think you make a good point, though, that, I mean, number one, <laughs> Scotland love a second half. Sean, you're doing your power rankings um, about who's the best teams in the world. Second half, Scotland might be number one of those power rankings because they turn into absolute animals in those second halves. And Duan Fanamava just grows like an extra leg and just runs over people. So <laughs> that, that might be something to watch out and see. I don't know, does South Africa try to counter that or what, what they do with it? Because they seem to get better as the game goes on. And the second thing is, do we, yeah, I guess that I kind of would not want Grant Williams and Gorbis Reinach and that sort of try to run them off their feet game because Scotland love nothing more than chaos, which is why I think they give France a hard time because France obviously wants to, you know, play the ball and not be boring. I think the Scotland game is a one game for the Springboks to be as boring as they can be. So 
yeah, I think Jaden and Faf are our most boring scrum offs in that case. Yeah, and we mentioned it um, uh, at the twenty uh, during the Lions tour, like uh, when Duan Funamava starts is the best thing for the Springboks, and then in twenty twenty two, we said thank God that this Duan wasn't playing in in the Lions tour. Well, now we get to face <laughs> him. He's he's uh, he's cooking. And it, tell it was you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a little while back talking about the the Scottish tactics and how they like to spread it spread it wide to stretch the defense. So they bring like a big man mm. like Panamav in. He makes a little bit of gain line advantage or a lot, and then they send it wide into the midfield um, where they kind of attack a really disjointed, uh, broken defense. So yeah, agreed. I think game plan is um, kick them. Um, Blake Kinghorn's actually uh, Hogs retirement could hurt us a little bit. Kinghorn's in some some great form, pretty decent yes. under the high ball. Um, however, if they start Darcy Graham, we'll work him. Um, if they start Kyle Stain, which I don't think they'll do, I think they'll start Darcy Graham if he's fit because he offers way more. Um, he he he's a he's a better strike strike runner. Um, he's mm-hmm. a finishing winger where um, Duan's a finishing and a and a setup winger, and and Kyle Stain's just a keep the ball alive kind of a winger and he'll go for the try if need be. So if Graham starts, which I think he will if he's fit, then we'll just panel him all day. Yeah. So I think this nicely segues into the next selection dilemma in our back line. And there's, as you mentioned earlier, Sean, there's been a rising tide of support for Andre Esterhazen and he had a great performance. I mean, the one thing that, I, yeah, I think I'm a more of a Esterhazen skeptic. And one thing I was always saying was that I need to see him do this against like a serious team. I mean, great, you can do it against Australia, who are not a serious team right now. But <laughs> doing it against the all, <laughs> let's be honest. 20% of our listeners. <laughs> we will see you after the World Cup, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, It's a short one for them, though. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. They'll be... I yeah, let me let me not launch into that just yet. But he did against the All Blacks, he did against Jordy Barrett. Barrett looked, I think, as ordinary as he has looked, um, playing in the midfield. Um, he made a few big line breaks and he beat some defenders, and we saw obviously his ability to run and to pass and create for others as well. Um the tide is rising for Andre Esthazen, and obviously Damien Dialendi is not really good at the things or we don't see often the things like him being good at the flashy things. He's obviously fantastic as like, you know, I think he, he has the most post-contact meters um, in rugby, I think last year. And he's obviously just a fiend in the, in the ruck. Um, Sean, I lean towards starting um, Damien Delendi um, for the Scottish, especially because that Hugh Peloto midfield needs, I think that Delendi Creel defensive combination just to be, on the same page, tracking Finn, tracking Hugh um, Hugh, um to tracking Hugh Jones, because all three of them are masters at picking a line, and all three of them are masters at picking up at any little gap or misunderstanding in the midfield. And I mean, SSN has played a lot with Creel, and I don't think SSN is a bad defender, but I definitely think um Dialendi is a better defender than Esterhazen. What do you think about this dilemma? Agreed. It's Damien Delaney starting at 12. They're going to have to go with combos. Um, there's no doubt that the best center pairing we have right now is Damien Delaney and Jesse Creel. So are you going to break that up to put Andre Estes in there? The thing is, is 
uh, people, what people don't see is, so there's two things. There's, there's pre-contact footwork, which like Damien Willemser does. Uh, Jesse, uh, uh, why I keep doing Jesse Krill when I'm trying to say Ches and Colby? Uh, sorry, that is the most <laughs> bizarre balls up I've made. It's such, such a weird thing. Even in my mind, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? So Ches and Colby, Damien Willemser, they do like a lot of pre-contact footwork, which is great. The thing with Damien Delendi, he does post-contact footwork, which always takes us over the advantage line. But a lot of people don't see it because they're too busy bitching and moaning and throwing their hands in the air because he's taken contact. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's a thing. It's a, it's a combos thing for me. Our, our premier center pairing is Delendi and Krill, and we are not breaking that up right now. Andre Estazen has got better and has grown. He has linked well with a couple guys. Um, he's played uh, with a couple of options at 10 and 13. can't remember. I think he's played with Creel. Um, but so he's doing the job. And the thing is, is the, the only thing that's stopping this whole thing right now is Delendi's experience, the, his understanding of everything and his connection with Creel. Um, that's, that's that. And there's a, there's a lot of other unseen work that Delendi does that Estazen doesn't do as well. I wouldn't say he doesn't do it. So yeah, it's like Andre says, and I don't see him making the match day twenty three, um, for Scotland. That's the thing though about Estazen and Delendi. <laughs> they're either starting or they or they're in the stands. You know, they're not, they're not yeah. even on the bench, um, and they won't be for this World Cup. I don't feel. Funny thing, but before we scoot off this, I do want to chat about. I do think we're going um five three on the bench. By the way, but please let's talk about that later. But I totally think we're going five three. I, yeah, I was about to say when you said Estazen won't um, be in the 23, I was thinking, yeah, 5-3 might be a possibility. And I think he's probably put himself, I mean, depending on where Kane and Moody is or is not in the 15 or not, I think he's probably front of the line there to be that third um, backline player because obviously it's Willemse, one of the scrum halves, and then someone else. And Moody, yeah, yeah, obviously Krill. Krill can cover wing if it's if it's Estherhazen and Dialendi can move out to outside center, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think he changing things up. So you you oof. Imagine having Estherhazen, Dialendi, and Krill on the wing. That would be that would be some heavy duty bodies to run against. Yeah, and I think with um with Krill at the wing, especially for Scotland, that's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, if he's marking Duan, if he's obviously making the calls from the wing to to tackle people. And yeah, I, again, not that, I don't, I don't want it to sound like, you know, Scotland has this unbeatable attack, but their clear like advantage, and it's similar to Ireland, but the clear advantage is sort of the sleight of hand that they do with their 10, 12, 13. And their 10 is obviously the most tricksy little trickster in the world right now. Hugh Pelotu is, I mean, Tui Pelotu, Sioni Tui Pelotu as a single man, not the combination. He's great. <laughs> Just because Hugh Pelotu so much that I forget I he's actually a single person. As a single um, man. <laughs> as, as a single eligible <laughs> man. He is great at running, kicking, and passing. Like, I think... That's the underrated thing about Tupelo too. He's a all-court threat. Like he's a triple threat in that regard. Like you he's can't one just of the think. Kick, 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 k
So that's a, a threat. And then Hugh Jones picks lines like nobody's business. So if your 10, 12, 13 isn't solid and connected, and of course we use our wing almost as a second 13 um, in the open side, then that's where issues can come up. And that's why I'm thinking as far as possible, it should be um, DLND and Creole monitoring this. And then um, if, and, yeah, if there is changes or whatever the case is, like I'd rather have someone like, you know, now moving to the wings. I, I think this might be the game for Kane and Moody to play 14. So two reasons for that. Obviously, I, I've I caught a lot of slander for my comments about being tired of people saying his experience playing 13 at Borland Lanbo proves that he'll be a world-class 13. I'm just so glad we finally have a game where Moody played 13 that we can now go, okay, he's, a, he's going to be a good 13 or he has at least the skills to be 13, not this hypothetical rubbish we're doing the whole time because then we must talk about like Thibaut Flamand could be a world-class number 10 as well because he played 10 at club rugby level. Like, Which is even closer than the school. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm just I, happy that that talking point is done now for good. Hopefully. Yeah. So on my my feels on this, so a lot of, I, I mean, we were talking about Willemsa earlier. It must be said that with the dominant win that we had, like we we are going to be like overly critical when we're having a look at things. It's going to sound a little bit unfair, but it's not that mm-hmm. we're being sore losers, just more that we obviously can see that we can get better. So the thing, I the reason why Moody played at 13, obviously he played there at school, so he has an understanding for the game but it was his defensive reads on the outside that I, for me, really made that decision easy. His outside reads coming in, which is what our outside backs do, they always shoot up. His decision-making and execution helped that decision for him to move in at 13. This is one step in, in uh, one step of many. Um, he's, not, mm. he's not in the top three 13s in that squad right now. He might be third choice. It's that's one thing people must understand. He's he made a few errors. So he made 10 of his 14 tackles. If we're very honest about this, if Jesse Krill made 10 or 14 tackles, people will be shitting the bed. Like, mm. let's be very, very honest here. So we've got to understand, and I'm all you know me, I'm like cool. Whatever you compare this guy to, you've got to compare in the same. You've got to, you can't be not talking a different story when you're trying to justify things. And as I mentioned earlier, I think that he's a bit too much. He's got a winger's mindset, so that's how he plays the game. And it's only one game at 13. So he's definitely, I definitely want to see him at 13 again. And I do feel this is a 2024 decision and a World Cup yeah. emergency backup. He's got, he's got the goods to be there. I just think everyone needs to understand that with all of this, he will have a bad game at 13. It's the nature of the beast. 10 and 13, you can easily have bad games. On, yeah. on either side of good games. So I'm all for it. And I'm loving that we've got a 13 option. Now we just need to make sure that it completely ties into to what, what we need. And then we've got to pair him up um, with someone, someone at 12. And the one thing that I really wish, I really wish we could have seen is we could have seen him play at 13 with Delendi at 12, Colby at, at right wing, Mapimpi at left wing, and Valeriu at fullback. That I want to see him play in a settled backline. Then, then mm-hmm. we must talk. I, I want to see that first. 
So yeah, I was super happy, but it, like if there's there's gaps there and there's holes and they will be filled, but he's there as a winger, not as a thirteen. So which is which is great. Yeah, look, I mean, he did something that I don't think many people do when they play thirteen for the first time at senior level and that have a, a really good game. But yeah, I mean, I think another factor to remember is that you know <laughs> the 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 fifteen forwards that played also helped most of the Springbok backline look really good just from the platform that they gave them. So there wasn't as much that they needed to do and they weren't obviously tested by the All Blacks who, you know, their attack pretty much, you know, fell to pieces. But when he was called upon, he did, you know, make the reads that he needed to make there and he did make the tackles. I mean, yeah, I think him and Willemsa, ironically, were the two people that missed the tackles on Roy God when he scored. Sean? Yeah. Very... um. I couldn't think of a better way for a guy to make his move to 13 than to have that platform. Like that is the the big thing. And I, it couldn't have happened at a better time for all people involved, but he got to play where they, he got to dictate a lot. Sometimes mm. you get dictated to as a 13 and that's where your defensive and your, your, your footwork and your spacing and your actual where you've got to be where it matters. And we, he wasn't put under pressure, so it wasn't really opened up that much. And not saying that it would be opened up, um, but it would be surprised if he wasn't if he wasn't a little bit off off the mark one or two times before. But I'm just glad that he he had a good game at this yeah. opportunity. That's that's the big mm. thing for me because South Africans are very they very they're the worst. Eh? Like they're like oh there's the next cab, <laughs> next cab on the rank off you go. We don't want to see you ever again, Veli Larue. You're a cuck. Now everyone's like, well, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Villeneuve is definitely the best 15 in the world. And the same would have happened with Cannon Moody. Everyone's like, oh, mm-hmm. everyone's been banging on that drum. He played 13 at school. He's this, he's that, and blah, blah, blah. It's excellent, great. If he had a shit game on Saturday, everyone would be like, right, get him out of the squad, let alone at 13, him get out. him out of the squad. Yeah. And <laughs> Take his what, passport. Yeah. That's what pisses me off the <laughs> most. So on that side, I'm super happy that he had a good game. Well, like he wasn't shown up. So now there's opportunity. It's great for him. It's great for everyone. There's not one person that 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 is a problem for. Yeah, Sean. Let's get to the wings. You said you have the solution for the wing. Well, my pimpy on the left and Colby on the right against against Scotland. Classic. Mm-hmm. There's no way. We there's no there's no defender better than Chiz and Colby. And I tell you what, Cannon Moody's coming close and uh, on the right. And then and then my pimpy is incredible on the left. I mentioned you mm. off air, I think it was. I can't even remember if I spoke about it on air. But the only time my pimpy trends is when he's not playing. And everyone's like, no, he's shit. <laughs> but then when he plays, he puts in that performance like he did on Saturday, on Friday. He hardly puts a foot wrong. He's a, yes, he, he's a beast, eh? He, he's our only winger that actually seeks out contact. And I, I, I like it. <laughs> I mm. like it. He's a big, big guy. And he's got that amazing, like, acceleration bounce vibe about him. I, I don't, we start really, oh, sorry, I'm jumping the gun, but we, we're going to go with the usual back three against Scotland. There's no mm. doubt in my mind. We don't, we can't afford to put a foot wrong. The guys have been playing well. There's no reason to drop, there's no reason to drop 10, 12, 13, 11, 14, and 15 that, that played the last couple of weeks. You know, our first choices. There's mm. no reason to drop them. Dropping them because you think someone might be better is not the reason why we drop players in, for the Springboks. That just doesn't fly. That 
that way. So yeah, Colby on the right, Mapimpy on the left. Who are you going with, Mr. Change It? Uh, I w- look, I think there's no wrong answers. I think let's just start that's there. Also, before- that's also true. That's a very great, <laughs> great point. And Moody and KLA have forced our hand to such a point where there's a conversation. I mean, this time last year, if you said to me that it'll be someone else other than Mapimpi and Colby, I think we'd all call that person crazy. But now they've played well. They've done it against, you know, all sorts of teams. Like, it's now at least a conversation. And, Sean, I think you're probably right. But I think the case for Kane and Moody starting at least against Duan, I can see it. I mean, obviously, the one thing that sticks in my brain, or there's two things that stick in my brain. Number one, obviously, Moody and his ball and Lambo experience at 13 give us, obviously, a person that can make those defensive reads that he's done. And obviously, Duan's going to be roaming roaming and roving a lot. So you need Moody to have his eyes open for whoever's either going to be on the wing or where Duan is, not to man mark him, but just to know what's going on. So those eyes will be scanning out for that. Number two is just thinking about Duan against Chase and Colby in the Lions series and how the Lions used Duan as just, you know, obviously this absolute tower to just climb over Chase, I mean, Cheslin when he was building those like up and unders. So obviously with Moody, him being 1.9, that negates that um, option a lot. And obviously Moody's not so bad himself in the air. So I think it just gives us a bit more security under the high ball. And yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't mind it also just to give Duan a bit something to think about um, defensively as well. I mean, look, Duan is not, I, I wouldn't call him the best wing defender in the world. If if uh, if Brian Habana was starting an analytics company, I'm sure he'd also say Duan is slow to turn. <laughs> but, Just fired. <laughs> but I think Moody's that nice mixture of big, good in the air, good defensively, and if, like elusive enough to keep Duan busy. So I I wouldn't mind Moody at 14, and I actually don't really care who you play at 11. Um, they obviously know they're going to have a full day with Darcy Graham um, playing at, at, at opposite them. But yeah, I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too surprised if Moody starts at 14 uh, in the Scotland game. But I also say that saying, I don't think that's necessarily the right decision for the Ireland game because with um, Hansen and Lowe, you need, you need, again, wings that are going to be open to the fact that Hansen and Lowe just pop up anywhere that they want to. And they're basically secondary playmakers for for Ireland. And you need to also have your wits about you defensively as well. So, yeah, I think there's arguments you can make. <laughs> you can even maybe go Colby and Moody for this game and then Mapimpi and, and uh, KLA for the Ireland game. Like, <laughs> I'm sure something crazy like that might even be thought of. But, yeah, I'm just saying that Moody might be a good um play to play against Duan just to keep him honest defensively and also just to negate his threat and attack. I would agree with you if it was in 2023 Colby. He's mm. he has been tackling better and harder than the only other person that's been doing it like him has been um has been Moody. But Colby mm. he's been hitting like a sledgehammer. 
He's like, he's always been a good defender, but he's now hitting hard and he's getting stuck in and he's making all his tackles, it looks like. So you've got, you've got a valid point. I, I still think that it's, it's six of one, half a dozen of other, which means that Colby yeah. gets the nod. And that's, and that's the difference. If this, More if, than if, 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 Moody, if Moody had like another five games, six games under the belt, different story. But right now, especially because Colby's in form. He's uh, defensively, I can't remember who, when did he play on the left wing? Against Wales. I think Wales, yeah. And then the week before, he played on the right. But I think, I can't remember. But he's just been really making great tackles. He's, uh hasn't been left found wanting, left wanting, he hasn't been found wanting. So, and that's the thing. These are the decisions that, that, guys are making like it's touch and go for a whole bunch of positions and the guys that are, 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 are have a better pairing or are a little bit more experienced and have had had the the jumper for the longest will will get the nod for me mm. um but having said that there's been there's been a whole bunch of different stuff happening this year <laughs> there's been some weird deci- not weird there's been some some unusual decisions starting well not starting but building up to that uh, squad announcement so yeah or we do say that it's going to be boring. <laughs> it will give us content at the very least. Sean, I think just to finish up, um, two things. One, for New Zealand, is this a case of our worst, like this confirms some of the worst fears that, hey, maybe putting Jordi at 12 and, you know, relying on De Groot and, and, and Lomax but it just came out now um, as we are recording that Scott Barrett won't be um, cited or is cited, was cited, but he won't be suspended for the opening game. So this at least they have averted the shittest decision. This is as bad as that Farrell first one. It's a shocker. Yeah. Yeah. Let's discuss that very quickly because I think I have a different view to that. Go for it, Sean. Well, get ready to fight now. <clears throat> first yellow, team one, done. Second was a yellow and referred to the bunker. I, I saw someone commenting on one of uh, the WhatsApp, my WhatsApp groups. Um, he was like, well, you couldn't even see clear head contact and it wasn't that bad. I disagree. I, mm. the, his body movement and everything. So granted, if there's no clear head, uh, head contact, which I'm sure there was, but you know, maybe that is the thing that got him off. But everything about what he did and why he did it was to, to, enforce himself on marks not to clear a ruck there was no rugby related anything but um to dominate Mm. a man on the floor and that not being upgraded to red um in the bunker was for me the first error that i've seen come out of since this bunker setup um i've been super happy with the bunker it's all post bunker stuff that's been been chaos but i was almost I was adamant that he was going to get cited and he was cited. And I can't believe that it was so quick that he's been, he's been given off. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I can't believe that he's off. So I'd love to read that ruling, but like everything about what he did was illegal. So if he makes any head contact at all, like that's got to be a red card. So I'm almost sure there was red con- uh, head contact. Red. Yes. Why? What is wrong with my language? Um, <laughs> so yeah. But I'm interested to hear your incorrect decision, Tala. I mean, please, let's, <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> You'll have a deck. Well, Go for it. No, um, look, and I'm just reading sort of as you're speaking as well. So 
uh, obviously Jared um, tweeted it out. He said that the Independent Judicial Committee decided that a sending off against South Africa was sufficient and that no further sanction was necessary. No, 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 no. (laughs) He was sent off for two yellows. That that wasn't a red card on its own. That is horseshit. So my thinking is, number one, I do think it was quite clear that he hit more of Marx's shoulder than Marx's like head. I don't think he actually really hit Marx's head. Uh-huh. I mean, I fully agree with you on the, it was reckless. It wasn't a rugby incident. He was only going there with intentions to hurt and was stupid. And I would, I, I think if he got a ban, he had only himself to blame type of situation. But I think because he didn't hit Marx on the head, like that gives obviously an out to, 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 uh, make that decision there. Number two, I think it is yellow enough to get away with not having to sort of make it a red and upgraded like um, happened in the game and seems to be decided by the sanctioning committee as well. And, you know, sometimes the red card is a sufficient, uh, in the case that we say it is a red card, I think sometimes the red card is a sufficient sanction for certain things. that you know what, you are punished through the basis that you weren't able to complete the game, more so than we need to actually teach you a lesson about how you need to rack all that sort of stuff in future. Now, I am happy to admit that obviously Scott Barrett got a pretty similar red card literally in this game before the World Cup four years ago. So, I mean, and he, he has and he, an imperfect, he has great timing with that. Yes, I think for the Crusaders. He's got two in two years for this sort of cuck. So I think that should have been a a big factor, yeah. I I also think that's one of the reasons, same as Farrell. If you give him a red card, you've got to go back and look, oh, you've got history, so boom, you get six weeks. That's also, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but sheesh, it's really been flipping, that fire's been lit up in me the last month. I think that's a factor too. I, th- I was about to say, I think uh, the Judicial Committee was like, look, we're not going to go against what the bunker said. We don't want <laughs> all the drama from this week. I think it's very unlikely that even if people are unhappy about this, that this will go through the whole uh, World Rugby appeal process that the last decision not made. I don't think it's, yeah. I think this is one of those where there's enough margin of error. And I mean, between us and between the listeners as well, it's quite clear that World Rugby's sanctioning has been towards trying to get as many of the stars playing in the World Cup as possible. So I can see why this is, I think, just a yellow. And yeah, I'm happy to... I'm happy if it's either... Like, it seems like... I'm Because I'm... I mean, I'm, I want to read the whole decision, but... It seems like either they decided the yellow was enough or they said, okay, it is a red card offense, but the red card in and of itself was enough. They didn't need to put in a sanction to that, which um, it seems like from just reading some of the things that Jared is posting, that's something that the Judicial Committee can do. So if that's the case, I'm happy with that. Um, But I can fully understand people saying that he does deserve at least some form of sanction, this being not his first uh, rodeo with the red card but on the the field the on the field decision i think also because again there wasn't head contact i was fine with the second yellow um it was just the the yeah like 
it, it luckily for the ref and for the bunker, it didn't obviously make too much of a consequence because either way it would have been a red card. And we don't have that stupid, you know, 20 minutes red card system um, in, 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 the, in the World Cup. So yeah, I can I can live with this. I think maybe that's more of an accurate thing than I think I fully support this. I, I'm more on the I can live with this decision. Okay, if you want. I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, fair I, enough. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I do, I do. I just I think I agree. I think decisions are being made around making sure that players can go to the big dance, but they're not rugby law decisions they're emotional decisions which is mm. causes chaos we all know making emotional decisions is not the greatest so quickly on the new zealand thing i mean i was worried jordy barrett had to play lock because they would have been left with scott barrett i mean with um, sam whitelock to provide um maybe luke jacobson can deputize there and because they took all three of Papali, sam kane and Ardy, and they're the only flanks left with frizzell out for the French game. I don't know if they had to like maybe think of like what Dan calls <laughs> as a loose forward reserve. I'm not sure what they would have done there. Um, so what, that for the crisis is it for the yeah for the opening game because Brony Metallic is out him. with injury. Are you talking about Barrett? If Barrett was banned, yes. If Barrett was suspended, to re- yeah, they'll be able to replace him. Even if it was banned for a game or two. Oh no, no no! If they kept him, sorry. If he was banned for like a bulk of the tournament then they would have been able to replace him. But sorry, I see what you're mm-hmm. saying. If he was banned for two, yeah, I'll get you. My apologies. I was thinking I was thinking for what he should have got versus some assembling <laughs> <laughs> a chop. Okay. For the 20 games that Sean would have banned him for. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was cut in half and I gave him tackle school, eh? Like he, start, he started at 55. <laughs> at least he's available for round 10 of the Super, of super Rugby. So yeah, Super Rugby USA in 2029. <laughs> so yeah, New Zealand have avoided a crisis, and I think the if you want to be optimistic about New Zealand is they clearly didn't turn up physically. They clearly were a bit rusty because obviously a lot of their first choice players only played that first Bledisloe Cup game because the second one was given to the wider squad to play in. So they didn't play rugby in four weeks. They got kind of blown away and yeah, they didn't really turn up after those first 20 minutes. The cards went against them and they folded quickly. So I think there is, you can either go, this confirms whatever sort of like fears you had about New Zealand. Like last year, there were those comebacks that teams were able to pull against them in the second halves. And I mean, they drew against England. They almost lost against Scotland and Japan. Um, so you can say there are those concerns versus you can be like, okay, you know what? We can overlook this a little bit. They're hopefully closer to the team that faced South Africa um, in the first game. So Sean, maybe it's a bit of an unfair question, but is New Zealand closer to the team that first faced South Africa this year or the team that lost on Friday? No, the, the fir- that first faced. Okay. They, they're good for the World Cup. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to that opening game. I think France, mm. um, Australia showed that there is a way of getting to France for at least the first 30 or so minutes, even though there were two trials down. But France showed that they can, you can get under them. Um, conversely, we showed that you could dominate New Zealand. So I think tactically, 
and whoever pulls it off in that opening game, it's going to be fun to see. But you can't judge New Zealand on Friday's results. What you can do is you can take some stuff out of it, like how, how to work them and what you can do and how they, how they deal with things. But um, in a competitive World Cup game, they're a, they're a different baby. But I think they're a little bit weaker than the, obviously the usual all-black side we're used to. Mm. And yeah, this goes back to my agenda, if you want to call it that, that Broderick especially when you're facing against a team like South Africa, is so important. And that's why he's like, I think lost only five games or something crazy like that in his career against South Africa. Wow. And most of the losses that have happened, I think in the most, like in these, like Rassi, Ninaba era, he's not been, he hasn't played in those games. So I think that's, he's a big factor as to them being competitive against like these, like big forward packs. So there's that one thing. The last question I want to ask at least about this game is which of the agendas or wild Twitter takes (laughs) (laughs) you want to maybe dig into? So Option A is now this proves we leaving, um, South Africa leaving Super Rugby has absolutely destroyed New Zealand rugby. Let's ignore the fact that New Zealand has had our number in the rugby championship the last few years. They've won all of the rugby championships since and Australia has a winning record against us. We've left there now much worse than, than they were before. Or you, the breakdown, which was probably don't listen to it, to be honest, like it was the most, I mean, even for the breakdown and even for sort of like giving a bit of bias to Kiwis, it was probably the worst takes I've seen. But now New Zealanders are saying, take away the bunker system that we suggested that everyone should have because it doesn't work. It makes the game slow. You can't have a test that goes for over 100 minutes. Um, People are bored. We need to quicken the game up and have only three forwards on the bench. So yeah, I'm not sure, Sean, which of the, Twitter hot takes you think were <laughs> taking the most. They're both cuck. E, none of the above. <laughs> They're both, it's diabolical. It's diabolical. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've said it for a long time. I believe New Zealand are getting weaker because Australia are weaker. Australia and New Zealand are, are well, New Zealand are better when Australia are better. They play each other the most. Um, yeah. Super rugby. Mm. swings and roundabouts were we that dominant in super rugby <laughs> like for reals were we no um <laughs> if you bring us back into super rugby then we don't get to see this this fiji so this samoa this mm. fiji like we've got to look at it from that point of view um but the those removing bunker systems who's who like do they even know what the bunker system's all about I don't think like, they do. The breakdown was always talking about the TMO. But the bunker, the bunker system doesn't waste any time. The game was 100 minutes because <laughs> New Zealand infringed 165,000 times. And there were like <laughs> 300 final chances and all that sort of jazz. Like those conversations, that slows the game down. Um, scrums and all that slow the game down. Um, it wasn't the Springboks having seven forwards on the bench. Go bug off, man. Like, that was, what a lot of <laughs> cuck. That was clutching. That's clutching. That's, that's um, we only watched the game, extended highlights of the game, and, uh, <laughs> and we kind of watched little bits and pieces, and we're just going to see what social media was moaning about and jump on that. Yeah, I, I 
genuinely could not understand what the breakdown was on about for most of the episode. Like, yeah, there were just weird things that they were complaining about. Like, like you said, they seem to not. And the, that's what I'm so confused about. The break, the, the bunker was a whole super rugby initiative. It was New Zealand, Australia being like, we don't want the TMOs spending 20 minutes making a decision. Like, listen to someone off site. And was it their baby? I couldn't the, remember that. It is their baby. And everyone in the rugby world was like, okay, cool. I will take this and not the 20 minute red card. So well done, Aussies and Kiwis for once. And we were like, great, great idea. This actually works. Let's implement it. And it's been fine, mostly. Um, and now they're like, no, we're now confusing the, the TMO well, the TMO with the bunker, which is obviously crazy. And yeah, it's it's the same, it's the same country that will obviously complain about Wayne Barnes missing the forward pass in the 2007 quarterfinal. And the TMO's involvements in the game were good involvements are with the right decisions. And they stopped tries from being scored where there was either, you know, Moody being offside or knock on from Talea, whatever the case was. Like, this is the whole point of the TMO being able to watch the game and to, you know, come into the ear of the ref and be like, hey, I think you missed something here so that we don't have big game-changing moments happen through mistakes. So, let's, again, let's I'm, not so under, I'm not understanding what the issue is. Obviously, it's being a sore loser. It, let's be honest. It's exactly that. If roles were reversed, um, uh, um, the guys on Supersport, what's it, the final breakdown? No. Yeah. What's Final whistle. Uh, final whistle. They'd be saying exactly the same thing. And mm. the Kiwis b- would be laughing it off. It is. There's, <laughs> there's two reasons behind it. One is it's sore loser, so we've got to make spice. And the other is that they watched extended highlights of the game. They didn't watch the game at 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Like, there's no way. Fair enough. Yeah, they're like Cooks. Cooks is fair weather. He's like, nah, buddy. I'm not going to be doing anything stupid <laughs> like this. <laughs> oh, shout out to our, shout out to our, our friend there. He's apparently the fighting a losing shot, battle against the beers. Apparently he's fighting a losing battle with the beers there in, in London, eh? Well, I don't think, I think the beers are fighting a losing battle, but the only reason why the beers are saved is because of the pound. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, these daily updates have been sensational like mm. i actually go back and i watch watch them separately every now and then i yeah. don't only watch them please, once on the day yeah please watch those if you haven't already like yeah <laughs> it's his daily updates of life in, in, but, um, in the uk my funniest one was how much he's like so you have public transport but you have to walk to your public transport so in south africa <laughs> you either walk or you get your own car or you get public transport <laughs> In yeah, you have to use all of those public transports. You have to walk, you have to get a bus, and you have to get another taxi car. <laughs> 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 ah, That's the best. No, that and his war against peas was absolutely hilarious. Everywhere, my friend. Or all, all foods. Um, Sean, let's go into the other big match of the weekend, probably the one match we should have led with, and that is Fiji beating England for the first time, 30 points to 22. A sensational game, honestly. Um, Fiji just... If, if we're honest, actually, and this is probably the scary thing for England, but let's focus on Fiji for a while, but they pretty much controlled the game and they controlled the game where it was raining and they couldn't really do all of their, like, you know, open-running rugby type of thing. Like, <laughs> there wasn't really many points where England looked like they were, like, the big tier one side here. The opening five minutes. I. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, it was the opening five minutes, and I was like, 
this is going to get nasty for Fiji. And because it looked like England were like that. So England were structured and they played their game and they took the opportunities and they scored and Fiji were trying to find themselves. And we've seen it so many times before where guys are like, oops, we didn't wake up soon enough. And then the game just falls, falls apart. But this is a different Fiji and they are, they're cooking. So Barring those first five minutes, I agree. Uh, Fiji largely dominated that. It was it was touch and go, but the longer it's the same with any any side that's an underdog, it's the same. You give them a chance. The longer they're in the game, the more chance you've got of losing. Like the odds start mm. swinging more in their favor. And like, yeah, man, it was. And the same with with Ireland Samoa. We'll get onto later, but it was Fiji. The only thing that I, I thought was I was worried about their their pack. I remember 2019, they were good, and I thought their pack was was great and couldn't remember if it was going to be 2023 or 2019 Fiji pack that was was better. But it turns out that it's 2023. I think that's pretty clear. And um, mm-hmm. it's really like they've played well. That was the whole thing. We always knew it was they were just missing the, the, the tight part of the tight five. The, the tight, the bigness, mm. the the like we can hold up to you all game kind of stuff, and they did it, man. And I tell you, <laughs> there are a couple, there are a couple of tier one sides that are quietly shitting themselves for the World Cup. <laughs> they basically sent all their analysts off. Like this is no way a gimme. Just like you know, some games you know you're going to win it. Like it's going to hurt, and they'll push you for sixty minutes. Like we all know, we everyone's got that team, but Fiji are not that team anymore. There's no ways mm. you have to be prepared. Oh, no, it's, uh, I mean, great result for world rugby, great result also for, I guess, super rugby as well, just proving, I think, the value of the Drua. Like, obviously, you know, you have the Rajadras and the Mauis and the Matas and the nice levels that play for the big European teams, but this is, the backbone of this team is the Fijian Drua. Like, about, I think, what, eight or nine of the players win the Drua, probably more, just doing a very quick count here. But they, yeah, I think it's just the structure and that's kept the team going. It's not, you know, almost like a Barbarians team that all meets up before the World Cup and it's like, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, I play in Japan. I play in France. I yes. play in New Zealand, whatever. Like it's a structure and you then adding all of the crazy superstars that they have, which is, I think, given them more of a structure. And yeah, I think like you said, Sean, there was that moment, I think, in the last bit of the first half where England was in their 22. They are doing rolling walls. They did, I think, I think they conceded at the end or they managed to, oh, they got a yellow card. And you could just see that Fiji was able to just work work it out. Like, you know, you're obviously not as strong as England is in the rolling mall, but they were able to, you know, just keep in the fight and not sort of allow them to score. They were able to, you know, actually make a turnover and to win the penalty um, or the turnover scrum for themselves. Like they were able to just fight in those situations. So it then was a situation where, because if England scored just before half time, yeah, Maui got the yellow card in the thirty eighth minute. If England scored before half time, it would have been fifteen points to three to England, and that's with Fiji having a bit of the ball and. It seemed like they were maybe a bit wasteful in that first half because they weren't really playing to the conditions. And that was sort of the 
14-point swing because England didn't score before halftime, but Fiji then scored straight after halftime through, through nicer level. So it was important that they were able to do that. And Warren Gatland, who was watching, obviously he's facing Fiji first up with Wales. I mean, he can try to do the 10-man rugby, keep it boring, keep it tight, but I don't think Fiji's forwards are looking at Wales's forwards and are scared of them, to be honest. They're not seeing, you know, the Alan Wynne-Joneses and the Gentham Jenkins and Talupe Falat. Well, Falatar's at least going to be there. They're not seeing those players and those names and saying, oh, we're going to have a tough day for, for ourselves here. They're seeing a team that they're like, even if Wales tries to match us up physically up front, we've got something for them. We're not going to, you know, leak penalties and the rolling mall and the scrums and everything. And Fiji is certainly looking at what Wales has done the last few weeks and said, if we get the ball <laughs> close to their 22, we're good. Don't worry about that. We'll get at least a few tries from that. So, yeah, there is absolutely, definitely opportunities for Fiji to really make um, a lot of noise in Pool C. And Sean, while they're currently the top-ranked team in Pool C at the moment because they've reached their highest ranking of seven. Yeah, that's very... I tell you, I had a look at that today and I was like, that is quite something. Um, you never would have thought it. Uh, you couldn't have, you wouldn't have put money on it, but it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. Agreed. Fiji are, I, I think Fiji have unfinished business from 2019. Mm. I, I really, I thought, I really was disappointed. I can't remember which game it was, but they lost a game they shouldn't have lost and it cost them. It cost them big time. I think it cost them a quarterfinal. Uruguay. Yes, that's it. Like, What? So now this is coming, uh, 2023 is some unfinished business, but coming off the back of them playing in Super Rugby for two years and mm. how this has definitely bene- benefited them. Benefited? Benefit them? Oh, I'm struggling here. Tully, you're going to have to just <laughs> put a disclaimer in place. Um, so like they've definitely got better. They're definitely playing better and there's definitely more to them and the way they're playing. And we've been saying it, Four decades when Fiji and most like Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, when they can sort their pack outs and have a little bit more rugby and structured rugby, like not specifically in their test side, like in for their players when they're playing together, which is kind of mm-hmm. what's happening now, the world will change. The world will change. Like <laughs> they're going to be hosting World Cups and winning them. Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and I, that actually brings me just to some very quick shout-outs. I mean, Caleb Munns, I think that's also a big thing, that Fiji has a tight five and a, a you know an actual number 10. I mean, all respect to Ben Volovola. Yeah, don't um, you dare, hey? He's... I was bummed he didn't make it. <laughs> no, but, I mean, Munns is better, to be honest, and he's able just to control the game a lot more than um, any other predecessors. That we'll, again, talk about Samoa because they have an even better number 10 in their ranks, or two of them. So just looking at the stats for the game, Fiji kicked 21 times, which I think in Fijian standards is quite conservative, even though England kicked 33 times. <laughs> that was tactical from them. <laughs> yes. But like looking, looking through all the stats, I mean, their defense was just as good as England. They had 84 tackle success, 84% tackle success rate to England's 82. Um, line arts had a few shaky moments, but 12 out of 15, they can take they can take that home against obviously England with the Toje and Chesham and Laws, 
Um, scrum success, nine out of 10 scrums, they, they were able to get in and out. And I think the important one was England conceded 10 penalties, Fiji only conceded seven. So Oof. if they're disciplined... That's a, that's are, a massive difference, yeah. Sure. Yeah. If Fiji's kicking, at least kicking, and kicking at least decently, if they're disciplined, I mean, they did concede a yellow card, but they still had less, um, less um, uh, penalties conceded. And if they can at least get parity in the set piece, like apart from Australia's scrum and maybe Georgia's scrum with um, Gogiashvili playing, I don't see a team in the in Pool C that will give them any issues if they can at least do those basics. Because as, I mean, we've done this enough without mentioning how great <laughs> their backline players are. Ravu Tomado being the man of the match, he beat eight defenders and had 82 meters and all that sort of stuff. Rajaja and Naisa level were scary in the midfield. And you can just think that Josiah Tusova is going to join this team as well, which is absolutely frightening. Abosi was good. Trasese was really good from the back as well. So they can just, if they can just do all of the boring stuff well, and they can still add Levani Bortia um, to help with the turnovers as well, because the turnovers are even between Fiji and Eng- England. Now there's a, there's a player. People are in trouble. Yeah. There's a player, Botia, who who is going to dominate when the world go to seven one benches. <laughs> eight zero. <laughs> <laughs> you oh. can do eight zero with Botia and Tusova probably. But yeah, no Fiji like, has Botia it all and, set up there. And Esther Hazen. You could do <laughs> you could do an eight zero with Botia and Esther Hazen there. Yeah, so Fiji's were great. I mean, a word on England. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm at that stage, and yeah, it's rare that it happens, especially with England, but I'm almost at that I kind of feel sorry for them stage. Like, they look so... Uh, I don't know if there's a word for it. They just look... Uh, Blair. Like, they... Like, the joy is out. Like, now it's everyone's on their backs, or everyone was on their fun. backs about them celebrating like all these small victories. Now they're not doing that anymore. Everyone was on their backs about, (laughs) I mean, they had the odd turnover and all that sort of stuff, (laughs) but like all of the things that were working for them are now gone. England are better than that. Like they're better players. They're better individuals, better team, better everything. They're just, they're not having fun. There's something, there's something not right. I, like, I knew it was a shit decision to drop Eddie Jones before the World Cup. I didn't know it was this bad. Um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's just not looking right. Like, everyone's turning on Borthwick. Like, everyone's saying he's out of his depth. You know what it's like. Like, the English press are the mm. worst, man. Um, and everyone's getting, getting pinged. Like, everything's being scrutinized now. Um, now they're, like, trying to weigh up. Like, because everyone's still, there's still those guys that are blaming Eddie Jones. Because that was the thing is, like, it's just perfectly set up. Like, if England are shit and bomb out of the World Cup, it's Eddie Jones's fault. If they do well, they're like, well, we just hide Borthwick in time. But I think people are starting to see that there's a lot of other stuff going on and it's challenging and it's weird. Um, but yeah. And the thing is, is like the press and everyone are just, absolutely piling on everyone like the players are tweeting like basically just giving everyone the middle finger like just back off england are definitely better than that um but 
like when is it going to happen? Because if they lose their first game in the World Cup to Argentina, mm-hmm. they're probably still going to make the quarterfinals. But if they lose their, their first game, then it's going to get even worse. But that at least allows them another three games, three games, to kind of build things up again um, with one little potential banana peel along the way. But yeah. I'm just trying to get England's fixtures in front of me just to see how the order is. So it's Argentina first, of course, like you mentioned. Then game two is Japan. As we said, Japan is not not as good as it's been. Um, They also have a massive problem with their goal kicking. They seem to be missing every goal kick (laughs) that they're doing at the moment. So I don't know how they're going to fix that. Then it's Samoa. No, then it's Chile. Chile. Then Samoa is the last game. That Samoa game, I think, is about to be epic. Yep. Because, I mean, we can transition to the Island Samoa discussion. Samoa's a proper team. Um, they just lost to Ireland. Uh, what's the score there? I think 17 points to 15. Yeah, 17 points to 13. And I think, yes, Ireland were playing a second team and all that sort of stuff. But I think the main things to look out for was, number one, Samoa's scrum gave Ireland a lot of issues. And Samoa wasn't even playing. Um, they didn't even start um, Famuina or um, Tumaga Allen. Yeah. So... And they didn't start um, Alotoa. So I think their scrum can get better, honestly, um, from that um, performance. Number two, conditions also weren't that great, but their set piece was fine. Obviously, you have McFarland and um, Luatua in, in one sort of pack. You can put in four at the end there as well. Your lineup's going to be fine. And then number three is, bloody hell, Lima Sopoaga as your fly half. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's ever been a better fly-off for a Pacific Island test nation ever. I mean, we know how good Sopoaga is and was. We know that he was almost going to be first choice for the All Blacks once, once upon a time. Like, just having him controlling things, never mind the likes of Duncan Paiua, who played fullback on Saturday, UJ Sutemi, who's in the midfield. Like, that just gives a lot more structure to this team. and. They have enough for any team that faces them in the World Cup to at least give them a game. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind if if Fiji could borrow at least one of their strike runners to Samoa. I think they would be perfect because I think their their back three options are a little bit on the inside because I think Tim Nanai Williams might be still doing some minutes there. But they have enough to really put um, teams under pressure. Sean, I know you watched this game. What were your thoughts on Samoa? Samoa lost for one reason and one reason alone, and that was because they made some errors at the end. And for me, that goes down to them only playing one tier one side in the last 10-ish games. Um, yeah. And that's it for me. And having said that, like it was Lima Sopoago who, who missed the kick to touch. And like they, they, actually, they actually got two bites at the cherry. Um, they got a nice get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, but they were pushing hard for it and it didn't work out. But the good news for Samoa is they did it not in a World Cup and the bad news for England is exactly the same thing. Samoa will <laughs> learn from that. So it's, um, yeah, like, I mean, let's say Argentina have an off day and Samoa push them and get a point out of the game and then England's last up. Like, 
that's quite something. Um, I'm almost, I, I don't know what Samoa's fixtures are, but I'm almost certain that they play Argentina before England. But you see, yeah. that's, that's, that's the thing. So it sucks. Um, um, there's a lot of guys, like not a lot of those guys all play together in Super Rugby. So that's where Fiji are, are, are probably winning in, in that kind of battle. But they've got incredible players. And um, this performance in France against Ireland is exactly what Samoa needed. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I really do feel that they will kick that on a little bit. We are in for one of the best World Cups ever. There are going to be upsets, like as a neutral, because, you know, Ireland could go out early, South Africa could go out early. Um, but as a neutral, this is going to be one of the best World Cups. Like there are so many teams that can mm-hmm. win it and there are so many teams that are going to unwin it for someone else and, um, and, and make their own history and stories around that. Like I don't see Samoa and Fiji going on to win the tournament. I see them making a playoff and causing chaos. Yeah, Sean, I'm now fully buying into, we're going to talk about Georgia just now, but I'm fully buying into... Fiji, Samoa, and Georgia all making the knockouts. Like, I was sort of holding it as a take. I was sort of, you know, trying to scope things out and trying to just give England, Wales, and Australia especially a chance to kind of redeem themselves. But I think I've seen enough. I think it's those three. Oh, can't hear me. Oh, that's, um, yeah, I think it's those three that could be in it there. I could have made just putting money in Argentina to win the World Cup. The whole thing. Okay. I mean, well, I don't look at their draw. It. Yes, look at their draw. <laughs> they just have like, to be good for two games. Chaker can can get them ready for it, and he'll mm. make them believe. He's somehow like those are a passionate group of people, and he somehow managed to give them his Lebanese dog, like the dog that he's got inside of him, that Lebanese fight, <laughs> and with the Spanish passion, like. You know, that's quite something. It's not a bad shot. They love, they love France. Look, out of all the pool C&D... They love World Cups. They love World, they Cups. Love World they Cups. They love France. And they love playing away from home. They've been good in every second World Cup, I think, since 2007. And every second World Cup since 2007 has been in Europe. So... And they weren't good in the last World Cup. Aha. Yeah, they also beat um, Spain 62 points to three, pretty much a second team. And obviously Spain isn't even in the World Cup, but yeah, um, good warm-up head out for them. Yeah, look, Argies, there's no reason for them to not win the first game against England and win their pool. And then they can just wait for whoever comes out of Pool C, who my hot take, um, and I think I'm even going to put a bit of money on this, is... I'm going for Argentina, Samoa, Fiji, and Georgia as the quarterfinalists from the Pool C side of the draw. So, yeah, we've just lost Sean for the rest of the pod. Let me just quickly round up the rest of the results from the weekend. Um, we had Georgia losing 33-6 to Scotland. They were leading 6-0 at halftime, uh, which was great. And they were really just keeping... Um, uh, parity with Scotland in all facets of the game in the first half, and their defense was able to keep them out. And then the second half, 
yeah, we know how good second half Scotland is, and they just completely turned on everything else after that. I mean, Scotland made 757 meters and beat 31 defenders. A bit concerned about Georgia. They're the, the team I'm most concerned about in my Fiji Georgia Samoa take. Um, I kind of, um, I think they 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 may be a little bit off the boil compared to um, Fiji and Samoa because they at least had the Pacific Nations Cup to work out their teams and everything. So I'm hoping that Georgia can get um, their their best players back. I mean, Kogichashvili didn't or came off didn't even come off the bench on Saturday. Um, Gorgashvili also didn't play in this game. So we'll see um, if Georgia can get things together. I'm kind of, my hope is that they will rediscover sort of the form that they had in beating Wales and Italy last season. So that's good for them. Scotland, I mean, yeah, they just need to make sure that they can double what they do in 40 minutes and 80 minutes. So that's going to be their challenge um, going forward. But a good hit out for them. Um Portugal just relatively narrowly lost to the Australian A team, 30 points to 17. And look, this wasn't just any Australian A team. The Australian A team had more caps than the Australian side that played France in the weekend. So this was as close to a test level um, game for Portugal, which I think will show for the opponents in Pool C that Portugal are no mugs. And I think they will give um, whoever they face in Pool C some troubles. Like there's a real situation where Fiji beats Wales and Australia but lose to Portugal, or even Georgia could do that as well. So I think Portugal can, <clears throat> I, I, I can see them pulling off a shock result in, in, in the pool as well, or at least scaring someone for 60 minutes. So that's a good result for, 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 for Portugal. And I mean, good head out for the Wallabies as well. They'll be touring with the Barbarians, I think, for the next few weeks in Europe and just keeping a stack of players available for Eddie Jones. Then finally, or before that, Italy beat um, Japan 42-21. We did mention earlier in the pod that it seemed like Japan can't kick anything right now. So, I mean, they, they scored three tries and Italy, um, I think, scored six. But with their kicking stats, they had two out of six kicks where Italy had seven out of eight, and that was probably the losing of that game. Italy's in great attacking form at the moment. Ange Kapoorzo is playing some great rugby. Created a really good try. He's linked up well with Monti Ioani. And I like the balance of the back three when Tommaso Allen's playing 15 instead of um, Kapoorzo. So I would go forward with that and just have that balance in the back three because you need a bit of that kicking and um, running game that they can bring. Um, and there's just a matter of, you know, if Italy can you know, be as consistent as possible. Like, you know, they're also a forgotten team in terms of teams that can make a scare. And Pool A isn't a, f- a real foregone conclusion. Um, there's, there's, Italy has scared New Zealand in the last, well, two years ago, and they have given Francis games um, in the Six Nations as well. So they just need to do the business against Namibia and Uruguay, and they, they at least have a chance to, to put their names in the hat. Finally, let's end off with Australia versus France. Uh, Australia did well, especially in the first half. They really were competitive, but they also were a story of a lack of goal kicking. They were um, they got one out of five kicks in, and 
they weren't able to keep up with Australia. I mean, with France and and as they built up the lead. And I mean, with Thomas Ramos and Melvin Jaminet kicking, like they're not going to give you too many chances if, if you do that as well. But for me, this was the best of the warm-up games for France because they just were able to ease into second, third, and fourth gear when they needed to in this game. So they started a bit rough. It didn't, it wasn't going off in the in the in the first half, but as they grew into the game, as they really put Australia under pressure, like it was quite easy from there. And they were able to win the second half quite convincingly. So I think France are pretty much ready, even though they played at about 60-70% their capacity. They'll obviously be quite confident in their chances against New Zealand in that first game. All of their players looking like, or the players that they're available are looking like they're playing in, in good form. Um, great game from Jonathan Dante. Amazing try from Damien Pinot. Anton Dupont and Thomas Ramos are pulling off crazy stuff. Uh, Jalibé played really well at 10. It's just now a matter of if they can just fix a few things. The scrum wasn't as good as it usually um, could be. Um, I think they are struggling without um, Cyril Bai. Jean-Baptiste Grohl didn't really have maybe the game that he wanted to up front. And we just have to see if they can just get those things sorted. And yeah, they'll have obviously as good a chance as anyone to win the World Cup. And at least in my books, I think France are still the favorites for the World Cup, even though they've sunk to number three in the world rankings in, in these last weekend of games. So I think we're at a point now where, you know, we've seen everyone play at least once in the in this warm-up cycle. And yeah, I think the hot teams at the moment to finish off are South African consider themselves hot, France are hot, Ireland are kind of lukewarm at the moment. Um, they haven't really hit their straps um, in any of their warm-up games. Scotland are hot as well. Fiji and Samoa can consider themselves hot. And in the not category, obviously, the three terrible brothers of England, Wales and Australia, New Zealand, probably mostly hot, but they didn't obviously have a good game in their last game. Japan didn't really do too well. And yeah, we'll see now what happens in the big dance. So I think we can end the podcast off here. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Please. Um, Follow us on our on our social media pages at Rugby Bits um, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well to see any updates that we have and just sharing the the rugby news around the world. Um, and also, um, I think we have or we do have our top fifty players from the from this World Cup cycle article that you can still read and still discuss as well. Um, and agree and disagree. What we did there is that we ranked the three best players in each position and then picked five wild cards. And this was based on their form from um the from the end of the rugby world cup um in 2019 up until now. And then we ranked the best players in each position based on their form and performances or their performances in the last four years. So that was a great exercise. We made a lot of friends in Scotland who all agreed with our rankings there. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll have a lot of um, preview um, content for, for the World Cup coming up. We're going to try to do a few pool previews and to, just to go into some of the teams in a bit more detail. And yeah, we'll hopefully make a few predictions as to what we think this World Cup will be. We are in for such amazing rugby coming up and I'm so excited and everyone in rugby is so excited that we will be doing this all together. Hope you can listen to the next podcast. Please follow us on any of your in your preferred podcast platform. 
like and share with the podcast with everyone else. And please make sure you drop a rating and, and some comments as well. That will also help us to go up the rankings. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you soon.